1: everyone, this is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And my super special guest today is the one and only Sharon Salzberg. Hi, Sharon.
2: Hi, Chris.
1: <laughs> so I'm excited to talk to you, super excited, uh, especially because I just had the opportunity to sit with you in a workshop a few days ago. But I do want to read your bio before we jump into a conversation mm-hmm. for maybe the one or two people that aren't familiar with you that listen to the show. Mm. Um, Sharon Salzberg is a central figure in the field of meditation, a world-renowned teacher and New York Times bestselling author. She has played a crucial role in bringing meditation and mindfulness practices to the West and into mainstream culture since 1974, when she first began teaching. She is the co-founder of the Insight Meditation Society and... God and I remember you were talking about the pronunciation Barry Mass, correct? Barry Mass. It it's is great. Barry. Okay, Barry Mass, <laughs> and the author of ten books, including New York Times bestseller Real Happiness and her seminal work Loving Kindness, as well as Real Love, her latest release. Her latest release by Flatiron Books, acclaimed for her humorous, down-to-earth teaching style, Sharon offers a secular, modern approach to Buddhist <laughs> teachings, making them instantly accessible. She's a regular columnist for On Being, a contributor to Huffington Post, and the host of her own podcast, The Meta Hour. For more information, visit www.SharonSalzberg, spelled S-A-L-Z-B-E-R-G.com. Sharon, I'm so excited to talk with you today. Um,
2: it's great. It's great seeing you twice in one week. I know. <laughs> I, I,
1: to what do I owe the honor? But really, you know, as I was preparing for this, we're going to talk about your new book. But, you know, I was just reflecting back on the impact you've had that you don't even know you've had in my life for so many years. And, you know, you're by far one of my favorite teachers of all time. So I just. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really adore you. And I'm so excited to have this conversation. So now that I've said all of that and fanboyed out a little bit. <laughs> 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 um, what I wanted to start with was actually an interesting comment you made at the, uh, the workshop I attended the other day about the movie, Dan in real life. And I went back and I, I, I really liked that movie and I went back and watched it after you cause you've talked to us so much. Love Steve Carell, great film. But so you had mentioned, and I want to get this right, that, that this, your new book real love is actually in, in some way, if not completely based on a, um, a quote from that movie. And the quote Mm -hmm. was, love is not a feeling, it's an ability. And there was a really great discussion around that at your workshop. And I wanted to pick that up here again, because I remember hearing that and thinking, wow, it's pretty amazing. It's an Mm -hmm. ability. And I know you had to also kind of defend the feeling part because yes, we feel it too. But so I thought that'd be a great place to start since that was part of, if not all the inspiration for this new book. So Mm -hmm. can you talk a little about that?
2: Uh, it was in in many ways the inspiration for this book yeah. my goddaughter had a minuscule part in that movie oh no kidding uh, yeah
3: how she cool was,
2: uh, the asian american kid who um was just around you yeah. know she was she was part of one of the families and yeah. and uh, she didn't have any speaking lines but she barked cuz <laughs> <laughs> that was her audition cuz it was a talent show in the in the uh, movie and so wow. that was her audition she had a bark how so cool. I was very intimate with that movie. Yeah. Um, and I love that line. It meant so much to me. Love is not a feeling. It's an ability.
3: Yeah.
2: And I had it in, I guess, the introduction to the book. And one of my editors did take exception to it, saying, look, of course, it's a feeling. It's what we want. It's what we yearn for. Right. It's what, you know, the whole frenzy is about. And, and I admit that, of course, you know, it's a feeling. And yet, what if we really thought of love more as an ability? Mm-hmm. rather than just a feeling and, and what i went into in the workshop what i go into in the book was um the realization i had myself which was very personal about seeing love as a feeling really um almost seeing it as a kind of commodity mm. and and thinking oh that makes it in the hands of someone else yeah. like all the power is someone else's yeah they can bestow love upon me or they can take it away yeah And if they were like right about to give it to me and change their minds, I'd have nothing. I'd be just bereft. And when I recast that and thought, no, it's an ability, it's a capacity inside of me. And it's certainly some people awaken it and they enliven it and they enrich it. And other people threaten it or seek to damage it. But it remains an ability within me. Um, Then the power is mine. And also, interestingly, the responsibility is mine. Mm.
1: I like that because I remember as as you were discussing that um, at the workshop, and I had mentioned to you just like a week prior I would finalized the divorce that I was mm-hmm, going through, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of residual stuff had come up. Um, we had separated m- many months before, and it was a peaceful mutual split, but I remember feeling like, wow, th- so much love was gone, just like you're saying, this other person had that power. And it wasn't that they did anything, you know, she's a wonderful human being, you know, and I'm glad that it was a peaceful split. But the feelings of like lack of love coming back up and, um, yeah, just a lot of self-doubt and self-worth stuff coming up with that. So it was really good for me, selfishly at least, I'm sure for a lot of other people in the room too, to hear that because it reminded me that I am lovable. You know, I am loved, and it is more in my capacity. I don't have to allow others to dictate that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you uh, for sharing that. And just to clarify the feeling part for anyone that's listening, like you did at the workshop, we do feel it too, right? It's a yeah, no, can... of
2: course we feel it. Um, uh, on the other side, you know, <laughs> uh, we don't necessarily feel it in the sort of dramatic way that the culture might dictate right i mean sometimes we do and it's glorious and it's amazing and um for sure yeah uh but i i one of the reasons i hesitate aside from the capacity part you know seeing it as an ability rather than a feeling yeah another reason i hesitate to sort of emphasize that feeling is that we tend to narrowly define what the feeling should be and there may be quieter kinds of love or there may be more subtle kinds of love or there may be uh, different expressions of love, or there may just be a powerful sense of connection. Yeah, that isn't about being in relationship with somebody long term. It isn't about, um, you know, it's about that moment when we see a stranger and we just have that moment of realizing, oh, our lives are connected, mm. and then we go our separate ways.
3: Right, right.
2: And, and in that moment, um, you know, we don't have that overwhelming romantic thing. We don't have the sense of. I'm going to share my life with you, you know, it's
3: like,
2: it's nothing like that. And so, uh, I don't want all those other kinds of, or those other ways of love to be discarded or considered not enough.
1: Yeah, really well said. And you know, you just also reminded me going a little off script here, but, um, we don't need to talk about the walking meditation practice, but you did bring that up. And what just remind me of that is, you know, saying it could be a very brief encounter, and it and you know it could be subtle. And I loved what you had said about your walking meditation practice because when you're doing that, it reminded me also of when Ram Das talks about using the I am loving awareness mantra.
3: Mm-hmm. Anything
1: mm-hmm. that comes into your realm of perception at that point is loved if you are from that place mm-hmm. of loving awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with yeah. your walking meditation, um I wish I had a notebook because I forgot the two words you use. You use, you know, one word with one step, one word with another. Was right. it peace and happiness? It was
2: happy, yeah, it was like uh, offering loving kindness to myself. Yes. Um, matching the the, fra- the silent phrases with the uh, steps. Yeah. So it was like, may I be happy, be peaceful, be
1: happy, be peaceful. Yeah. And so, yeah, so for our, the audience, that's a great practice, you know, to, to implement. It keeps you, first of all. It, or it takes you out of the thinking mind and God knows what that can do, at least for me half the time. Um, so I've been using different words, but I'm I'm going to start using those cause I really, really liked that. And, and you mentioned, you know, using that, especially New York city of all places, how much easier that might make your walks on those very busy roads at times. So <laughs> thanks for sharing that. Sure. Just a little side note. So jumping into the actual book itself, as I was reading the preface, um, Well, the whole book, I'm just nodding. It's a classic Sharon book. Like, yep, mm -hmm, yep, great. I did want to read, start off with an excerpt, um, and then we can unpack that a little bit. So you write, perhaps we think we're getting the portion of love we deserve, which is not very much at all. I'm just not lucky in love, or I've been too damaged to love. We may feel so cynical, sometimes as a mask to hide heartbreak or loneliness, that we dismiss love as a sorry sorry, illusion. Some of us decide we are through with love because it takes much more from us than it ever gives back. At those wounded moments when we need love, a hardened heart can seem like the best defense. And I know all too well about that hardened heart. And I think a lot of the audience does too. So, you know, I would love to, I know we've already started discussing that a bit, but anything you'd like to talk about that, especially that hardened heart part. I would love to hear your thoughts on that and how we can begin to soften that and work with that.
2: Well, one of the things that is really crucial in, I think, developing greater love for ourselves, which is what this is about as well, yeah. there are a few things. One is understanding that it's not narcissism.
3: Right.
2: <clears throat> you know, it's not selfish. It's not wrong headed. It's the right thing to do because it's not like um, you know, endlessly congratulating yourself for something really obnoxious like right. that. It's really much more having a sense of inner sufficiency or abundance out of which we can give, we can care, Mm. we can even pay attention to others in a better way. Uh, So we have to build up that sense of resource. It's like even if you have um, in the realm of material generosity, even if you have a ton of stuff, if you don't have the inner feeling, you even have enough, it's very, very hard to give. Yeah. Right. And so it's the same with sort of uh, generosity of the spirit thanking somebody, smiling at them, caring about them,
3: yeah.
2: having loving kindness for them. So we need to build that up, and we should build that up. There's nothing wrong with that.
3: Right.
2: Um, and then part of it is, is a, a lot of it, I think, rests on self-compassion. You know, like how are we when we've blown it, mm. you know, when we've made a mistake, when we need to change course or change direction. And um, You know, rather than thinking of self-compassion as laziness or weakness, it's realizing that that's actually the way to get ahead, you know, that's the way to get something done or make a change or, you know, fulfill a commitment or um, because of every time we, you know, get distracted or we get lost or, or we lose sight of our goal or whatever it is, we blow it in some way. If every time we just went on an endless journey of self-castigation, you know, which we can't do. And you know we emerge from that exhausted and demoralized and not feeling the wherewithal to go on and and be better or try again. And so, um, somebody at that workshop showed me this beautiful tattoo they had made after sitting with me there the last the previous year, which said "Begin Again."
1: Oh, and you just you posted know? that recently, right? Or yeah, some, yeah, yeah. Lily posted, yeah, I love that. That that was great. Wow, okay, so I didn't know this from that workshop, though. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful, you oh, know, cool. and
2: so that's what life really is. That's what an enriched, alive life is, Yeah. is beginning again, again, and again, and again, and again. And yeah. so uh, to be able to do that, we need some measure of, it's almost like mercy toward ourselves, you know. Right, yeah. We would never speak to a friend the way we speak to ourselves. And, ever, right? Um, ever, you know, and, and so I think we can cultivate that, you know, this ability to care beginning with ourselves is not, you know, it too is not a commodity. It's not like some people have it and others don't. This is, this is, this can be learned. This can be deepened. this can be, um, refined, you know, we have that capacity also.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, as you're saying that I'm thinking of, um, Oh, I don't know, a total stranger. Let's say he just went through a divorce, total stranger. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Say this stranger is having lots of anxiety in the evenings mm-hmm. something about the evenings and that lack of self-love is there and the heart starts to harden. Mm-hmm. What what would you say to that stranger as far as you know that this person sits with it to the best of their ability but sometimes it feels very overwhelming in cultivating that real love what what would you suggest?
2: Um I I think there's different levels to that you yeah. know I'm sitting with it Uh, if that total stranger, for example, if he, you know, or she, (laughs) let's say he, let's say he, uh, um, can sit with the, the feelings almost with a kind of curiosity. It sounds a little cold or weird, but one of the things we see just through mindfulness is that, you know, we can have some really painful state and, one level of our process is allowing that pain. You know, sometimes people try to up-level and they try to talk themselves out of it and they think, it's not Syria, you know, I shouldn't feel right. this bad, you oh, know. Yeah. And, you know, I've been practicing all these years, what do I still feel this bad, you know, I'm yeah. a failure. Um, but something's just hurt. That's that's going to be my tattoo, you know, yeah. <laughs> really. It's like something's just hurt.
1: Yeah.
2: And it's so unfair to ourselves to imagine it's not going to hurt. Mm. But it's also true that on top of that, you might call it the original pain, we can build a lot more pain because of our fears, because of our projection into the future. Yeah. I will always feel this way. Yeah. There's no other way I will ever feel. I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. No one else has ever felt this. <laughs> you know. And so we just add and we add and we add and we build yes. this like whole mess. Um, in Pali, which is uh, the language of the original Buddhist text, there's this word that I like a lot, which is called papancha. It mm-hmm. means proliferation. Mm-hmm. And uh, one translator I once heard called it the imperialistic tendency of mind, where something happens and the whole world is taken over. You know, yeah. So the story I like to tell about that is that um, my friend Joseph Goldstein and I were teaching a class somewhere, and uh, some, we were having... A cup of tea in the kitchen and someone came into the kitchen and said to joseph i just had this really terrible experience And joseph said well what happened and he said i felt all this tension in my jaw and i realized what an incredibly uptight person i am and i always have been and i always will be and joseph said to him you mean you felt a lot of tension in your jaw and he said yes and i've never been able to get close to people and it's never going to change and joseph said you I mean you felt a lot of tension in your jaw? And it was really interesting for me, like watching them go back and forth and back and forth, and right. and finally, Joseph said something to him, like, "Why are you adding a miserable self-image to a painful experience? Mm. It's like painful enough, and genuinely so, yeah. to feel that tension in one's jaw. But on top of that, now I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. You know, so it's like it's both is being kind to oneself in the face of the pain. And allowing the pain because it's, it's genuine yeah. and noticing what we might be adding onto it just through force of habit yeah. and begin to relinquish those habits. You know, every time you see it, it's just letting it go. Um, and then we're left, I think, with a state of pure compassion, mm. you know, for the pain. It's not all gnarled up with like, um, you know. I, I did this and I I'm awful and it's never gonna change and
1: you know, yeah. whatever. I'm sure the stranger can relate. I'll pass that along. Thank yeah, you. Please for, do. Thank you for thank you for playing along with me there. Sure. If so, you'd like
3: me
2: to sign a book, I'd be happy to do that
1: <laughs> That might happen as well. <laughs> so um the one last thing about real love. I mean the rest of the conversation will be that, but talking about love specifically. And you talk again at the workshop, this was really interesting to me where you're talking about real love as an innate capacity, you know, something that, um, each of us has in everyday life. And, uh, you know, that's something that I hadn't really thought of in those regards. And it probably, I'm guessing a lot of the audience might not have either. So can you talk a little bit about what does that mean, how it's an innate capacity that we all have?
2: Well, I think we're, you know, um, the nature of life is connection, and we, if you believe in that ability, you know, love is an ability.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, then it's not like an earned ability. You know, it's not like uh, maybe someday I'll have the ability. It's like we have the ability. Yeah. Um, it may be covered over, and it usually is, and hard to find, and hard to trust, and all of that. But it's there. And so, at least in the Buddhist world, you know, in Buddhist teaching, they say. As an ability, it's never ever destroyed, no matter what we might go through, no matter what we might yet go through. It can be way covered over, mm-hmm. <coughs> you know, but it's never destroyed. And so that's why, you know, somebody discovers something within them. Um, and it's not a question of creating it, you know, it's a question of creating the conditions so you can discover it.
1: Mm. And it's a lot less labor
2: that way, you know.
1: Right. And so, what? Just as an example of, you know, what's how do we create the conditions? Like, what's one example of something we can do to cultivate um,
2: that? I mean, for me, of course, so much is held in the in the um, tools of meditation, like sure. beginning again, just yeah. settling your attention on an object, having your mind wander seventy billion times, yeah, uh, every time, reminding yourself, I can begin again you know, nothing's ruined, nothing's like lost, uh, more deeply recognizing the truth of change. You know, we feel so stuck, we feel so identified, we feel so rigid. I am an angry person, I always will be. Yeah. But what about when we really take a look? We've had 50 feelings since that moment of anger, you know, yeah. do they count? Some of them are very beautiful. Yeah. Um, looking at what we can feel grateful for in our lives. We, you know, we tend to look at what's wrong and what's incomplete and, and what's threatening. And how about taking a moment and giving a little air time, you know, to the rest? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah so there are lots and lots of ways that, that we can really actualize that ability. Yeah.
1: Well, that's, <laughs> those are some great examples for people to start with. So thank you for sharing those. Um, another section, uh, this is actually from the introduction, Just a a brief couple of sentences. Um, You write, why is it so difficult for us to love ourselves? Why is it so much harder to offer ourselves the same sort of care and kindness that we readily dispense to our friends? And I know you said earlier, like, we would never talk to our friends the way we talk to ourselves. So, so true. Why is that? You know, why is that? What can we do about it? I mean, again, I know you talk about it in the book, but I, I would love to explore that a little with you here.
2: Um, I think there's a great myth that we've been told and largely tend to believe Mm. that loving ourselves is sort of sickly sweet, you know, and is very selfish. And we confuse narcissists who who I think don't love themselves actually Mm. with that fullness of being, um, with that sense of inner abundance. You know, I think a narcissist, um, Is more about it's it's this real state of inner bleakness that's somehow trying to be fulfilled by externals and love for oneself. I think leads to generosity because then there's that overflow, there's that sense of of abundance that has somewhere to go. You know, it runs off into others and um, and I think you know we most of us have a pretty active inner critic. Yep. I, you know, and I encourage people uh, in my teaching and in, in the book, you know, to maybe name the inner critic, give it a persona, maybe give it a wardrobe, because then you can kind of make a friend of them, but not like, you know, don't be obedient to them, like, don't just give in to them, but you also don't have to be so afraid of them.
1: And if I remember you know, correctly, you have a name for your inner critic, correct? I do. Do you mind sharing? No, I love that from the
3: workshop.
1: Her name is Lucy. Yes. Um, and she comes
2: from, uh, she doesn't come from, the name comes from uh, seeing uh, Peanuts comic strip once. Um, this friend had rented a house for many of us to do a retreat in. And when I went into the bedroom that had been set aside for me, I found this comic strip and In the first frame, Lucy is talking to Charlie Brown, and she says, Oh, Charlie Brown, you know what your problem is? The problem with you is that you're you. And then in the second frame, poor Charlie Brown says, Well, what in the world can I do about that? Then in the third and final frame, she says, being Lucy, she says, I don't pretend to be able to give advice. I merely point out the problem. And somehow whenever I was doing walking meditation by that desk, my eye would fall right on that line. The problem with you is that you're you. My earlier life had been so dominated by that lucy voice. And, yeah. um, and it was great for me having seen the cartoon because <clears throat> in my years of early practice, I'd spent quite a lot of time learning this technique called mental noting, where uh, if a word comes easily, you gently apply a label to your predominant experience. So sitting might look like, you know, in, out with the breath, in, out, um, anger, anger, Sleepiness, sleepiness, peace, peace, whatever in and out, whatever is actually going on. So, I felt like after seeing the cartoon, I had two new mental labels. One was hi Lucy, you know, and what actually happened, you know, in that period was something great happened for me.
3: Yeah,
2: and my very next thought was it's never going to happen again. And I could respond with hi Lucy, mm-hmm. and my favorite actually was the second label, which was chill out Lucy, just chill. You know, because look what that's in contrast to. It's not like saying, You're right, Lucy. You're always right. Right. And it's also not saying, Oh my god, Lucy's here. How humiliating. I've been practicing for god knows how many years now. I've you know, been in therapy forever, I've like done all these things and Lucy's still here, I'm hopeless. It's like it slices right down the middle of those two and avoids them both.
1: You know, it was really, um, helpful for me to hear you sharing about that. And I always appreciate when teachers that, um, I've learned so much from, and I look up to are honest about their own lives and are not trying to pretend that they're some high being that doesn't still struggle with being a human, you know? So mm-hmm. it's very refreshing and, and, you know, Ram Dass does too. And, you know, and that's why like that whole satsang, it's, it's my heart stuff, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. very real and honest and you know, just sitting down and having a conversation with, with KD, it's like, wow. Like, yeah. you know, it's really a, a beautiful oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being so honest, uh, really. In this day and age, it, it goes a long way. Yeah,
2: Lucy's saying, were you too honest?
1: What's that? <laughs>
2: Lucy just said, Are, were you too honest? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Not, no, 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 All you said that.
1: is you yeah, have Lucy still, and that's great. But yeah, exactly. Hi, Lucy. And, Hi, Lucy. I'm so, gonna... you
2: know, the, the continuation of that was, you know... Um, in uh, a radical oversimplification of a Tibetan Buddhist technique, they would basically yeah. say, invite Lucy to dinner. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: You know, like, really, all these forces, they, they're they still there, you know, for most of us. And But the relationship to them is so different. Yeah. You know, so much less fear and so much less shame and, and kind of the anguish of, oh, my God, Lucy's here. It's like, yeah, Lucy, hey, Yeah. you know, have, have a cup of tea, you know, calm yeah. down.
1: Yeah, it's okay. Just chill out, Lucy. Yeah,
2: chill out, Lucy. I
1: <laughs> love it. So, let's see what else. I, there's, first of all, this book is is over three hundred pages. Which glad I know. I I love that about <laughs> it. Um, so I'll just say right now, it's obviously beyond the scope of what we can cover in an hour. Um, so I tried to you know pick, put together some of the stuff I thought could really highlight it. So another one is you talk about the various messages we receive. I really liked this part—the uh, various messages we receive from our families, our life history, culture, and media, which penetrate both our consciousness, and our conscious and unconscious minds, and the effects they have on our overall well-being uh, and capacity to love. So, do you mind unpacking that a little bit for us?
2: No, th- this is a very—I don't—I haven't seen it in hardcover yet. But... Uh, <laughs> It, it, it was supposed to be a very small book, and I said I can't do that. It's like that's like trying to write a poem.
3: Yeah,
2: you know every word has to be so perfect. I said I can't, I can't do that shorter book. Yeah. So then they, they, you know, the contract was for a somewhat larger book, but it was like I, went, I first walked into the publishers. I said, why didn't anyone stop me? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh my
1: god, it's really a big book. It is, but it it couldn't have been any shorter. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, so, thank you. Yeah, no, it's great.
2: You know, and one reason, for example, I have a whole sec, have a whole chapter in there on stories we tell ourselves.
1: Yeah,
2: and but that led to, you know, what about stories others tell about us? Mm-hmm. You know, and and that led to a kind of um, social consciousness. You know, gender, race, age, all kinds of things. Right. You know, lots of stories about everybody, and we just <laughs> subsequently fit into some category or another. You know. And so the combination of the two is very interesting. Um, and and to see that, you know, there's a world of possibility and there's also a world of, um, you could say oppression almost from these narratives. And then we have to navigate, you know, we have to have confidence in our own ability to be aware and to love ourselves and to love others. And, uh, pick up whatever tools are inspiring to us and and walk along a path, you know, so that it's something real and not just idealistic. Mm. Um, somebody I taught today uh, at lunchtime, and somebody asked me if uh, I ever did affirmations. And um, people are often asking me that because I teach so much loving kindness. And
3: yeah.
2: in loving kindness, you would silently repeat certain phrases like, may I be happy, may you be happy. And, uh, I said to the woman, you know, I've never done affirmation, so I can't say what my experience would be. Um, I, I don't think it's the same. It's not the same practice, Mm -hmm. you know, the practice of loving kindness. And in this sense, you know, cultivating love for yourself is a practice of generosity. It's gift giving. Mm -hmm. It's switching your attention from just obsessing about the negative or the mistakes you've made or whatever, or the pain you're in to what's also positive and good within you and and about your life. And not to be like, you know, um, superficial about it or conflict avoidant, but just to round out the picture. But anyway, I said to her, I don't know if I've never been drawn to really doing affirmations. You know, I said, I'm a New Yorker. I'm kind of cynical. I've been a little too snarky to, like, think I'm wonderful, I'm wonderful, I'm <laughs> brilliant, you know. Right. <laughs> That's not to say if I was working with a teacher and I was guided, and, you know, and I was doing it, maybe I'd have an amazing experience. Mm. But I just haven't been drawn to it, so I haven't haven't done it. You know, but I think there's just, like, this huge range of possibility for how we break out of the kind of sense of limitation that
1: we tend to carry around, which is just a construct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that you mentioned loving kindness because I mean, your one of your seminal books is, is titled as such, but you also talk about it again in this book and I don't see how you could get around not bringing that into this conversation. So I'm not going to ask you to lead us in a meditation because I know you've done that a million and one times, but can you talk a little bit more about what loving kindness really is and why it's not selfish? Because I know a lot of people hear those two words and you bring yourself into this practice and for me, um, I'll give an example. When I first started, um, I did not know, which you, you had said uh at this workshop that the point is to start with someone easy and that's why they start with they recommend starting with yourself. For me, I was the difficult person, you know, towards the end of the practice, but I would still start with me because I didn't know I, I didn't have to. So I would start with myself, I would very, very quickly, like one or two seconds, offer like one round of affirmation and move right on to the positive person but what i will say is that over the course of five or six seven you know years many years now later of working with that practice it has truly transformed my life i mean yeah. i'm not yeah. perfect i'm I, like i said earlier i i, I have those feelings of self doubt coming out uh, over what happened with me recently but it has utterly transformed my life i used to when i lived in my old apartments i couldn't have a mirror in them because i couldn't stand to look at myself that's mm-hmm. how much i didn't mm-hmm. love myself and today i can't you know it's mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. that old sometimes once in a while it creeps in and i might look away but you know it's it's like 90 90 mm-hmm. uh, i was gonna say 10 percent better like your friend dan but no it's like 90 percent <laughs> better like really yeah. i yeah. mean to the point where you know i I have it tattooed on my hands. Loving yeah, kindness. Yeah, you do.
2: Like, loving kindness. So
1: I see it. When I forget, I look down yeah. and I remember, you know. So anyways, I just ranted on enough about it, but but can you no, share a little fabulous. bit more about loving kindness? Yeah. And the I importance mean, it's,
2: of it. <clears throat> it's not just that people fear that it'll be selfish, which they do. Yeah. But also that it's like kind of makes you stupid, you know. And like speaking of my friend Dan as an <laughs> example. <laughs> Uh, Dan Harris is somewhat yeah. famous for. Uh, he's an ABC news anchor, and, and he was talking about snarky, you know, <laughs> cynical, and uh, he got into meditation. Um, but of all the types of methodologies and stuff, the idea of loving kindness was just so yeah. put him off so badly. You know, it's like that saccharin, it's phony, that's like a Hallmark greeting card, and and of course he had his first big breakthrough doing loving kindness meditation, yeah. which. I enjoyed greatly um, you know so uh, he's a big advocate now yeah the way he great. Puts it is uh, my wife thanks Sharon Salzberg every day of our lives because I'm so much less of a jerk <laughs> yeah you know, so yeah sounds about right for Dan yeah yeah so um, it's basically a way of paying attention differently hmm. you know like <coughs> the question is what do we pay attention to if we're Looking at ourselves, maybe we are fixated on our flaws and what we imagine to be our flaws, you know, which may not even be our flaws, but what doesn't seem quite right. And we give very little airtime to a sense of delight. And it's not being boastful. It's just like, it's almost like delight and goodness, you know, and that this exists in us too. Um, And the corollary to that is self-compassion, because that doesn't come out when we're full of delight. That comes out when we have blown it, you know, and yeah made a mistake are we going to torture ourselves over that endlessly or can we kind of move on um in a better way and then you know who do we pay attention to there are lots and lots of people we encounter who might as well be pieces of furniture to us Hmm. we objectify them we we don't. they you know they're discounted in our minds they don't matter to us and creatures and Living forms, and you know, a lot of beings form the other for us, and sometimes through antipathy or bias, and sometimes through just indifference. You know, really, like so many of the people who play some role in our lives, like checkout person in the supermarket, yeah. it's like we so rarely stop and think, This is a person with a story, and you know, they might have been affected by that train that subway not working 10,000 times more than me you know yeah um you know all kinds of things but we don't necessarily stop and realize this is like a a living being you know who wants to be happy just like we do and has whatever story and and so we do stop actually in loving kindness that's exactly what we do
3: yeah
2: you know as we stop and we consider them and we don't need to know their story but we wish them well yeah You know, we wish them to be free of suffering. We wish them to to have a kind of happiness and peace in their lives. Because we realize everybody matters. Everybody counts. Even the people we don't like. Right. Um, You know, it's not to say we must like them. It's not to say we're going to take them home with us or we're going to approve of them or anything like that. But in our hearts, we can include them in that sense of we share this life, you know, that our lives have something to do with one another. Yeah. Um you know, and then, how do we pay attention? Are we as fragmented and distracted as we usually are, or are we actually there? And this is what was so interesting about um, when I talked about Barbara Fredrickson, who's um, a researcher in North Carolina at the University of North Carolina. She talks about these micro moments of connection mm-hmm. and how that's what she's defining as love. Mm. you know, yeah. not commitment, not relationship, not the form that it takes. Not longevity, you know, of the form, but that moment in the elevator mm. when you're both just there. Yeah. And, you know, you,
1: you shared you, you something you said, and I apologize, I don't remember what it was, just a few minutes ago, but it reminded me of a really great story you told. If you don't mind sharing it again, about um, is there a small shop around you or a little market? Yeah, yeah And your yeah. friend had, had made it. Yeah, do you yeah. mind sharing that? Because that was such a great story.
2: No, it actually leads to... Uh, talking about the animation which is on my website which yes. is like Let's, one of the greatest things ever
1: uh, it is it's so good yeah <laughs> i love the fact just a quick side note that i see so many of my friends have been posting it you know like hey, oh this is so I great mean. and a lot of them aren't even interested in spirituality or buddhism they just see and they're like yes uh-huh. this and that's what i love it's so accessible so anyways please go oh, i'm so happy to hear that so yeah, if, um, yeah yeah
2: the animation was made by this company, Happify.com, yeah. and. Uh, they had me go into a recording studio and just tell stories. and So this animation I especially love because everybody in it is a dog. Yeah. And so you see this dog's mouth moving and my voice is coming out of it, which I think is just the cutest <laughs> thing. It is, yeah. So this is the story. Um, uh, even though I live in Massachusetts, I have long tried to have a sublet apartment when I could in New York City. And so like two sublets ago, I was living in a certain neighborhood and i have a friend who's a writer who was also then living in that neighborhood and he showed me an early version of one of his manuscripts and in the manuscript he talked about going into this corner grocery store in the neighborhood very often and mostly seeing the same woman working behind the counter and realizing that he had very little sense of her he was really indifferent to her and um, he had maybe a very vague sense. She was a little bit unhappy or grim, but very vague. And he wrote, he said, for all I recognized, you know, that she was a human being, um, she might as well have been a cash register with arms. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: And he was so shocked at himself <laughs> and so <laughs> upset that he decided, okay, I'm going to go into the store and I'm going to pay absolute complete attention to her. So he did that, and the first thing he noticed was that she was singing along to something on the radio and she had an exquisitely beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. So he said to her, wow, you have a really beautiful voice. And she lit up. She gave him this big radiant smile. So I was reading this and I thought, wow, you know, I go into the same store all the time and I don't really pay any attention to her either. You know, I hardly noticed her. I'm going to go in there. And I decided I'm going to go in there and, and say to her, I've heard you have a really beautiful voice and I'm going to watch her light up and, and she's going to be really happy. And I'm going to like make her day. So I walked into the store ready to tell her that. And the first thing I noticed was that she was already lit up. She gave me a perfectly radiant, beautiful smile. Mm. Oh, well, all right. You know, I realized I had no idea who she was, you know, like maybe I'd seen her once look like a little bit unhappy. I never really looked at her again, really. Mm. And, it was so shocking to me to see like, wow, she's like a full person. And I, first of all, I froze her, you know, and then I discarded her like, yeah. and, and to see, Oh, that's what it takes. It's not like forcing yourself to feel something or, you know, doing something artificial or weird, but it takes actually paying attention. Mm. That's what unlocks the um, innate capacity to connect and to care. So it's
1: all about attention. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing the story again. That's just as good the second time. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So the compassion muscle, you also describe this uh, in your book and I love it. So I wanted to share another excerpt, uh, just a short one. You write, we begin to cultivate real love for ourselves when we treat ourselves with compassion. In a sense, self-compassion is like a muscle the more we practice flexing it, especially when life doesn't go exactly, uh, exactly, oh, it got cut off exactly as planned, I'm assuming is what you'd written, something to that nature. <laughs> okay, <do you. laughs> I'm actually reading off of notes. Um, okay. So I apologize. But, but I'm sure it was something like that. But that's what I wanted to ask you at this, just in general, the, uh, the compassion muscle, and, and if you can elaborate on that, and, and how can we, you know, build this muscle?
2: Well, loving kindness and compassion are considered like two um, very related qualities, but they're also a little bit different. You know, uh, Barbara Fredrickson once called compassion, loving kindness that takes in suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, loving kindness is said to that sense of connection that our lives all have something to do with one another. Right. Um, It's said to be based at least to some extent on recognizing that all beings want to be happy we actually all want a sense of belonging and being at home somewhere like in this body and this mind on this earth that we get so confused because of everything we've been taught and everything we've been misled by and all of that into thinking, Oh, well, you know, strength is vengefulness and I'll be happy when I'm like beating everyone else down or whatever, you know, but that's just confusion. Um, but, recognizing that all beings want to be happy is a great springboard for the arising of loving kindness and compassion just has a slightly different flavor. It's more like recognizing that all beings have the vulnerability of suffering, of loss, of change. It's not like, it's not like we're all suffering to the same degree because clearly we're not, but that vulnerability is, is a universal share, you know? And, And so compassion these people think of compassion as a very hierarchical state. Like I've got it all together, so I'm gonna be compassionate to you way down there.
3: Yeah.
2: But it's not like that. It's really seeing, oh, we we all have that vulnerability.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um makes me think and I'm sure you're familiar with Brene Brown's work and you know yeah, she yeah. talks quite a bit about vulnerability and, and really like especially with what I've been going through these past few weeks, um, feeling such a rawness and such a vulnerableness, it's it's been very interesting for me to watch how I like to think of myself as a generally compassionate person. You know, it's a practice I have worked on. But being in such a raw state, how it's just a natural. It's like I, I make zero effort to come from that place and, and to be more compassionate, you know, because I am in such a raw you know, it's just like, my God, I hope no one else is feeling this, you know, like and so it just makes it that much easier to extend that gentleness, that loving kindness mm-hmm. that compassion. So um, there's such honest power and vulnerability in these feelings. And, um, and then part of me is like, I don't want to feel this, but then I'm scared because I don't want to harden again a little bit and, you know, not extend it so freely. But we do the best we can each day, right? I mean, what else we can do we We do the best we can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, another uh, section, you talk about rewriting our stories, and uh, and I really appreciate this. I want to share another excerpt and, and talk to you about it. Um, you write, As we construct our identities, we tend to reinforce certain interpretations of our experiences, such as, No one was there for me, so I must be unlovable. These interpretations become ingrained in our minds and validated by the heated reactions of our bodies. And so they begin to define us. We forget that we're constantly changing and that we have the power to make and remake the story of who we are. But when we do remember, the results can be dramatic and turn our lives around. Yeah, yes, it can. So uh, how do we rewrite our stories and you know, how do we really learn to turn our lives around?
2: Well, I think, you know, it's a lot like Lucy. You know, first you have to see that Lucy's there. Yeah. You have to see the narrative. Mm-hmm. And understand that we're not talking about destroying the narrative, creating capacity of our minds. We we couldn't do that anyway, and why would we want to? Right. But it's both seeing the story quickly, knowing it's a story, and then choosing. You know, do I want to nurture this? Do I want to make it stronger? Mm-hmm. Is this, is this the Lucy story again, you know? Maybe Lucy does need to, like, take a nap, you know, yeah. for a little while. Yeah. Um, I don't need to go down that road again. Um, so we have a choice as long as we can see, you know, and that's mindfulness. Mm. <laughs> it's also said that if we practice loving kindness and we cultivate it, it will change our default story. Mm. So if the story that tends to rush in right away, be there, you know, a lot, is lucy or is one of fear it's one of disconnection it's one of unworthiness and we practice loving kindness that story will change to one of connection and that's why the changes that come about through that practice are a little mysterious you know because it's not intentional it's not studied right it's not like you're in that elevator and that person's annoying you and you think wow you know, I've written 10 books about loving kindness, I better smile, you know, like, yeah. or act like I care. It's not like that. It's not deliberated, you know? Right. But something has shifted inside of you. Yeah. So the story is different. The story is more like we're all in this together.
3: Yeah.
2: I do find you annoying, but we're all in this yeah. together. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, Like that. Yeah. And you're not so afraid all the time. And so uh, you find you're responding very differently, and it's kind of spontaneous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I speak from experience, definitely true. Um, It it just, it it makes life a little bit easier, you know, like to each day. And who couldn't use that little bit easier? Yeah. Yeah. So another section, um, and this is a big one for me right now specifically, and I'm sure for much of our audience, but just in general, welcoming our emotions. You know, there's a chapter on that. And again, I want to share another brief excerpt from that. And you write, Real love for ourselves, by definition, includes every aspect of our lives, the good, the bad, the difficult, the challenging past, the uncertain future, as well as all the shameful, upsetting experiences and encounters we just as soon forget. This doesn't mean we have to celebrate everything that's ever happened to us or write thank you notes to people who have hurt us. But like it or not, the emotional residue of our experiences is part of who we are. If we resist any aspect of it, we feel like imposters, unreal, and split off from ourselves. And I relate to that, all of that. And as I'm sure so many people listening to this or watching this do as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would love for you to talk a bit more about that.
2: Well, it's really true. I and mean, I think um first of all, we're not compelled to um you know, kind of flatten everything out and pretend that, you know, joy and sorrow, are no difference. I mean there's a difference, you know. Yeah. Uh, back to something's just hurt, you know, that's an authentic experience. Right. But um, we need to be able to hang in there with what we're feeling because uh, for everybody, there's some feelings where that isn't true. Yeah. And sometimes the activities or the behaviors we choose to avoid what we're feeling are so much more damaging than just sitting there mm-hmm. and, you know, experiencing one's fear or sadness or whatever, which would in the end, although painful in the moment, would be so much more healing. It's so much more real, and it is the bridge to caring about others. You know, to having empathy for others and saying, "Whoa, I bet that hurts." You know, I remember when I was, you know, looking for a place to live and I couldn't afford anything and I was just like wandering around. And I remember when, you know.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and if we're cut off from our own feelings, as difficult as they are, we don't have the basis for that empathy for others, you know, toward others, and we need that. We really do. The world needs that. Yeah. And and so and I, I just don't know a time where sitting and feeling what one is actually feeling for anybody has been worse, you know? Yeah. Than the things we do to avoid it.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say like for me, um, You know, a a big part of my background is struggling with addiction, you know, Mm -hmm. specifically Mm -hmm. alcohol, but a lot of drugs, too. Mm -hmm. And learning. I mean, I was obviously doing that like any other good addict because we weren't welcoming our emotions. We didn't learn how to do that for one reason or another growing up. Um, And so that's how I I'll speak for me, but that's how I coped with my emotions. Mm -hmm. That's how I welcome them. push them down, push them down. But in working with, you know, like I said earlier, loving kindness and learning to work with that compassion muscle, um, and also being beaten down so far, like you said before, I, you know, not having enough money to, to to rent and understanding coming from that place of understanding. In my case, just the, the degree of suffering, and I mean literal suffering that I have experienced from the withdrawals, the rock bottoms, you know, mental, emotional, spiritual, all mm-hmm. of it. That, combined with all of this, has kind of been a perfect storm to help not only learn to welcome my emotions, because for someone like me, it's kind of a life or death thing, to be honest, but it's also like I can find the gratitude in the fact that it helps me meet other people and have that compassion and understanding, and I can go in and talk with people. And even if they're not in a place where they're looking for some kind of answer, just hold that space with them. Just sit in that hell with them for 10, 20, 30 minutes mm-hmm. and just be there. So they're not alone. You know, it's yeah, such a big yeah. thing. So, um, yeah, thank you for, for writing about that. It's, it's, uh, and it's something again, like anything else we've talked about, I'm sure neither one of us are perfect at it, but we do our best. Right. And yeah, again, yeah. what else can you ask for? So what I wanted to do to end this, Sharon was, uh, cause we're, we're pretty close on time was like I said earlier, over 300 pages shouldn't be a page less than it is. I'm glad it is. I know that. Thank a, you. <laughs> no, I can't stress it enough. I love it. But I wanted to ask you just generally, because there's so much more. Yeah. Is there something specific in the book that I didn't ask you about that you would like to talk about? Um, Anything about it that we didn't talk about that you want to bring up?
2: Well, I mean, the other two, you know, we t- spend a lot of time on love for oneself, which is really right.
1: important and is the foundation.
2: And, right. you know, there's a long section on love for another, whether that's a partner or a parent or a child or yes. a pet or whatever, or the person in the elevator, you know, the stranger, right. uh, which I found, you know, really. I, I learned a lot writing the book, of course. I yeah. really heard a lot of people's stories. And, and I just have so much admiration for what people go through. At one point, uh, one of my editors said to me, don't you know anyone whose partner doesn't have a disease? <laughs> 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 I thought about it. And I thought, no, I guess there are a wow. lot of stories like that, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, people go through a lot. We go through a lot. And we should stand together, I think, in that yeah. knowledge. And the third section is kind of the thorniest in that it's about love for all beings and um, difficult. Yeah. It's always difficult, but these days it's not that abstract and difficult. It feels very real and difficult. Yeah, for a lot of people, and uh, the way that that kind of love can be the basis of a social movement, the way that kind of love can be the basis for love for life itself. Mm. Um, it is interesting. Some of the same qualities that I talk about cultivating for another, like interest, awe, yeah. you know, curiosity. Yeah. Um, get translated into that larger picture. So in a way, there are a lot of threads that go right through. Yeah. Um, and and the, it's sort of like the notes
1: are, are the same because the strengths are the same. We just yeah. apply them in different realms. Yeah. Well, first of all, I apologize because I forgot to mention up front the, how it is broken into these three sections, which I absolutely love. I think as I was preparing this, um, besides what I'm going through personally, a lot of people I've been talking to have just been struggling with that self-love, whether mm-hmm. it's a relationship, mm-hmm. whether it's addiction, whether, I mean, it could be, you know, a myriad of things. It's the human experience. Um, And I think that's why I was so captivated and compelled or felt compelled to focus on that. But I really um deeply appreciate that you do go there in the book. And, and so it's not just about us, it's about how do we bring it into the world too and work with others mm-hmm. and share mm-hmm. that. So, Thank you for giving that brief overview, and my apologies that I didn't. I I tended to mention that up front. I forgot. I'm a human being. It's all right. <laughs> I know now the inner you critic. You did
2: good. You did really good. Nice.
1: I'm going to have to uh, name my inner critic. I was going to after the workshop, and I forgot. Okay. And, uh, uh-huh. I'm going to work on that tonight once we're done. Okay. But um, Sharon, thank you. So I know we're going to air this in June. We're 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 recording this a little early, but. Are there any events that you're aware of um, that are happening or is there just your website that people should go and is there an event section? What do you recommend for people to come Um, see you live and meet you?
2: Yeah, I mean, the best thing is probably the website. The book is launching June 6th in New York City. There's an event. Oh, wonderful. Um, And uh, there are a few events that week and then I have to go to Europe because that was planned long ago. Oh, darn. You know, I'm teaching a weekend in Connecticut. Oh, are Uh, you? Before I go to Europe, yeah. Um,
1: A weekend workshop? The 9th to the 11th, I think it is. Of of June 9th to the 11th? June 9th to the 11th, because that was also planned long ago. Interesting.
2: uh, Before the book launch was coming
1: out. I'm going to have to look that. Not Copper Beach, is it? Yes, it is Copper Beach. Copper Beach? Yeah. Wonderful. Is that close to you? It's, yeah. Well, Connecticut, you know, you can get from (laughs) end to end in like an hour, so. Yeah, Um, actually, yeah, a nonprofit I work with in Connecticut has worked very closely with them. Uh I've not been, but I've heard really wonderful things. Uh Actually, uh, a quick funny story to end this maybe is Mirabai Bush. I was visiting her, I think I mentioned, uh, and she had done a workshop there and she's friends with them. And she said she went into the closet because I guess it's like an old or still something Catholic about it's it. Very Catholic, yes. yeah. It's very Catholic. Well, so she <laughs> she went into her closet and she saw a crucifix stuffed down like into a jacket pocket, and she's like, "Oh Jesus, this is what's happened to you," <laughs> because they didn't want to offend her. <laughs> uh-huh. But um. Anyways, I've heard it's a really wonderful, wonderful facility. So maybe this will be my excuse to finally get out there. So oh, that'd be great. That's cool. But yeah, so for any, anyone else, though, so if you're not in the Connecticut or New York area, check out SharonSalzburg dot yeah. uh, There's an events link. And you're, geez, you're on the road. It seems like ninety percent of the time. Yeah, so, it does feel that way. Yeah, I'm sure people have a chance to to see you in person and meet you. And again, the book is called Real Love. June sixth. Sharon, thank you so much for your time, for everything you're doing in the world, and just being a real example for, for all of us out thank here you. that are doing our best. Thank you. Thanks, Sharon.